Hello, listeners. Beyond the Mask, in conjunction with NBC RNA, is pleased to announce that listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how to submit them, go to our website. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. Well, Sharon, welcome to the virtual studio again. I know. I feel like we're back in COVID times again. (laughs) That's okay. As long as we can get it done. You know, it's nice that we have Zoom and we can do these things like this. I think technology has made us better. Well, I wouldn't disagree with that. I mean, some of our guests now we are able to get and they're far away from us. So I think it's made us have a lot more variety in our guests. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you know, we have a guest today who's Zooming with us who actually is not far away from me, just actually right down the street here. But we want to welcome Dr. Michael Riker. Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. I, I was far recently. I'm, I'm glad to be much closer to you now. Yeah, we're, we are too. We're glad you got back safely. And that's actually going to be the, the topic that we talk about today. But Mike, for those that don't know you, why don't you give a little bit about your background? Okay, yes. Well, I'm the Chair of Academic Nursing at Wake Forest School of Medicine. I've been here in a faculty role for 16 years now, as you know, served as a program director for a lot of years, and have been involved with a lot of great changes in the program, a lot of growth, and just loving where I'm at. We've got some great stuff going on, and I'm really happy to be associated with the program at Wake Forest. Yeah. It's been 16 years? Yeah. No way! It sure has. That is so hard to believe. I remember whenever I was working at Forsyth Medical Center and you were just 1099 and working as a CRNA and I can remember you getting your drugs and your stuff ready in the room with us early in the morning. Oh my gosh. Oh, Sharon, boy, you how are, time you're dating yourself. Is all I, I know, say. I know, I know. That's wow, uh, that's hard to believe. To yeah. yeah, that's hard to believe. Well, well, how far we've come since then. But as uh, a lot of the listeners will know, it's my alma mater. I uh-huh. went to school at Wake Forest. And actually, my wife's alma mater as well. That's right. 
We are very proud of our grads. We have so many great graduates who've gone on to do incredible things like you, Ms. Sharon. And so, yeah, it's, that's why I say it's a great place to be. I've, I really enjoyed being associated with the program for all these years. Yeah. And, and Mike, you know, you're also in the reserves, correct? Yes, Army Reserve. Yep. Yep. And you just returned not too long ago from a deployment. And that's really what we would like to talk about today. Maybe your experience things that other CRNAs could probably relate to who were also in the reserves and have been on the battlefield. And, you know, I think our listeners would love to hear a little bit more about that. And also, who was manning the ship and how were things when you left and how are things when you got back? So, Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So I've been in the reserves a, a few years, not a lot of years. It's something I was actually really planning to be in the military when I went to anesthesia school. I was all set up to join the uh, Air Force. They were going to send me to school, pay for it, do that whole deal. And and I had an injury and had surgery at that time that just kind of put me off that track. And so it actually took me a bit of time to get back to fulfilling that life stream of serving in, in the military. But so recently I, I got called up to serve on a an FST, a, a forward surgical team, or in this case, it was a forward resuscitative surgical team in Afghanistan. And so the, the forward surgical teams are, are small teams that are meant to be positioned forward, meaning toward the battlefield, not sort of back in the, in the larger bases, but sort of out, out in the middle of nowhere. And, and just to, to put our soldiers within a, a certain radius of being able to have surgery when they need it, you know, if they get injured. In particular, the teams that, and the Army in general is, is moving to this kind of very modular kind of setup as opposed to large hospitals. For a long time, they've had these combat surgical hospitals, which used to be called MASH hospitals, which are, you know, big, you know, a couple hundred people in, in a unit that they would deploy. Now they're moving to a much more modular, smaller unit where they want to send smaller units of people out and have a lot more flexibility with that. And so in this case, the FRST, the Forward Resuscitative Surgical Team, which is 24 people, got divided into four teams of six. And so each of our four teams then individually got sent even sort of farther forward, I, I guess you would say, basically, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. And so it was a six-person team. We were supporting the special forces. And my team was in the kind of eastern portion of Afghanistan. And it was a really great experience. It, it was very sort of makeshift. The most kind of stable uh, structure, you know, that we have is a, a big shipping container, basically like setting up in a, in a back of a tractor trailer truck, you know, setting up an operating room. And the whole point was for us to be out there when these special forces folks were going out and, and the partner forces that they consult and, and guide are going out and uh, to put them within a certain radius. So when, when they break the team up into these small teams, they're called ghost teams, which sounds real kind of like uh, cool, like CIA yeah. kind of stuff, but, but it's really an acronym. It, it stands for Golden Hour Offset Surgical team. And, and the whole point of it is that nice. the main um, main hospital in Afghanistan is at Bagram Airfield. And from Bagram to where we were to get medical assets out there, someone got hurt. It, it takes, you know, about a half an hour to get the helicopter spun up and another you know, right. better part of an hour to get to where we were. And so the whole point is that when, when people get shot or bombed or something like that, that, you know, they, they could get sort of dragged back to our little spot or, or we could move out with them also so that they're always kind of in that, that close radius. And then we could provide the life-saving surgery and, and until the, the medevac got there to take them back on to the, the more established hospital. So the ghost team is um, there's an ER doc, a general surgeon, one anesthetist, a nurse, a critical care nurse, a medic, and then a scrub tech. And so that was it. We, we were the entire medical asset for sort of the eastern quadrant of the country. Wow. So, all right, 
you sleep in a tent? I know these are very basic <laughs> questions <laughs> here. Yeah, we, we, actually had, we actually had a bit of a structure. That, that was a nice thing. We did have a bit of a structure. We had a hard structure that we slept in out there. Along the way, we had, we had all sorts of different, you know, different arrangements. Sometimes we were in, you know, laying on cots in one big room with a bunch of guys. But, but at, at our main spot, yeah, we each had our own little rooms, which was kind of nice. And, and so that's, was that's, your team all male? No. So it was, um, it was about half and half. So the general surgeon, the uh, ICU nurse, and the, the medic, who was actually an LPN, were females. And then the other three of us were males. Wow. So how much work did you actually do? And I mean, I know you worked a lot. I certainly don't mean that. I mean, yeah. did cases or yeah. anesthetics or... Yeah. Tell us about so that. Yes, yeah, so it was a little bit of um, the work came in different different kind of formats. One way was that you know the special forces mission is is really not so much to be fighting per se, but to be advising. You know, that's a big mission. They're advising. They're they're teaching the Afghan soldiers how to basically take care of themselves and take care of their own spot. And so um, so we we also had a bit of that mission. So what our, our version of that, you know, they're teaching the Afghans how to fight. We were teaching the Afghan doctors how to do huh. trauma anesthesia and how to do trauma surgery and how to do resuscitation surgery and, and things like that. So we did have a lot of training. We did some of the work uh, came in the form of teaching others, teaching the, the local uh, folks there, you know, how to, how to kind of do what we're doing once we're all gone as that's happening quicker and quicker now. And then of course the anesthesia part, uh, thankfully, you know, it's not like being in a hospital where you just have, have like a caseload every day, you know, you're, you're really, um, you know, it was actually a very interesting kind of sort of philosophical epiphany for me. You know, we all showed up there we're all gung ho. We're, you know, me and the ER doc are like, oh, let's go do some stuff. Let's jump into some trauma. Mm -hmm. and we were real eager and, and you know, to, to do some stuff, to do what we, what we went there to do. And, you know, and they were training side by side with these guys, these special forces guys who, who were pretty much all guys. So I'm not being sexist and saying that one. I can, I can mm -hmm. just say guys mm -hmm. because they really are. And, um, you know, and, and you know, the, the first time that we got this message when they're out and then our team leader sent a message out to the team and said, hey, our guys are in heavy, heavy gunfight, you know, be prepared. You know, you just have this sinking feeling all of a sudden. And, and you're mm. like, oh, shoot. Uh, this wait, is real. <laughs> this, is, this is this is real. And. I'm not so gung-ho to do stuff because, you know, that was Jimmy that, you know, we had lunch with uh, right. you know, mm -hmm. the, yeah. today. And so it was really kind of interesting, you know, once you, you have that, that bond, you know, you, you develop that bond with the folks. And then, you know, it, it really it got real very quickly, you know. But the anesthesia part, you know, as I said, you don't, you don't expect to do surgery very frequently. It's, you know, maybe a few times throughout the week, something will come up. You're kind of always on call. It's like a 24-7, of course, you know, anything could happen any time. And when they go out to do missions, you know, we would be a little bit revved up, you know, we'd be a little heightened uh, in our posture ready for, for them to bring folks in. But, you know, thankfully, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a large volume of cases. A lot of what we took care of also were the Afghan was the partner forces, you know, because we're, we're really, as, as the Americans are trying to pull out of the country, now they're, they're trying to push the Afghans to do more of the, the fighting and more of the stuff on their own. So that was, that was one part of it. And then the other thing that was really interesting about it was that the current mission, the Resolute Support mission, is really, uh, it's kind of twofold. One is, is trying to advise the Afghans to be able to take over and take care of their country. But the other part is still a, a pretty important anti terrorism piece, right? So we're still there. Mm -hmm. That's part of the reason we're still kind of lingering in, in the country as we are, is that we're, you know, the, still trying to make sure that we sort of quash that, uh, you know, the, the use of that country as a, as a haven for the terrorists. So we got to interact with a lot of CIA folks, which is really interesting as well. You know, huh. so the CIA also is in the country and there, because that's, you know, that's who's looking for like finding intelligence on who's doing what, where, where the explosives are getting shipped and who's making the bombs and those sort of things. So it's really kind of interesting, you know, the, the diversity of, of how the work kind of played out. Let me ask you another question. My understanding is that sometimes 
you have to give anesthesia to civilians who are close by. Now, there may not be any close by since you're in a forward hospital, but other CRNAs that I've talked to have had to anesthetize civilians for emergency appies and those kinds of things. Did any of that occur or were you too far forward um, to deal with civilians? We did not. Everyone that we took care of were were soldiers or fighters of, of some sort. What was interesting, we did have to, we had to learn to take care of the dogs as well, which is really interesting. I've heard that. Of, of uh, learning, you know, that's not been part of my curriculum before, <laughs> is that, you know, we've got the, the bomb sniffing dogs and the, the attack dogs and all the different sorts of dogs that do different jobs over there. So, you know, one of the things we had to do early on is, is um, you know, just kind of learn new ways of doing the stuff that we do here, you know, all the time. Part of that was, you know, how do you dose the drugs? How, how do you choose the uh, endotracheal tube size? How do you put an IV in a dog? And we actually did some of that stuff. We actually put the IVs in the dogs and and we uh, we practiced with uh, doing procedures under low light and no light with the night vision goggles uh, mm-hmm. you know and under total darkness and you know just to be prepared for you know all, all those sorts of things that might have come up so yeah but, but as far as who we took care of it was mostly it was it was all operative type people it was, it was soldiers and and intelligence folks Mike, what, what were the conditions over there? I mean, is there a lot of fighting still going on? I mean, you know, you hear, you know, obviously the Biden administration is trying to pull out from Afghanistan now. It sounds like there's a lot of training going on, but it also sounds like from the what you're describing, they're still getting quite a bit of information derived from there. So just be interesting to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's very discreet. You know, the, the fighting that's going on now is very discreet. It's no longer like these huge battlefields with, you know, big brigades of soldiers going in. It's really much more the intelligence people are identifying that, hey, there's a little terrorist cell operating over here or making bombs or making suicide vests. And, you know, yeah. we're, we're going to send a, a small team in and take them out. So it's it's much more of a kind of surgical, uh, you know, operations that are going right on right now. We've been pulling out. When I was there, we were down to just a few thousand people in the country. And okay. so there's a lot of a lot up in the air in, in a lot of people's minds about this deadline that the Trump administration has set with the Taliban, which was that May was supposed to be our time to be out. And, right. you know, and, and it's just it's just really difficult to do, especially when we see like even just from the medical piece, you know, when, when we see how prepared or you know lack of prepared the medical folks are to, to really fully take on, you know, the, the full full gamut of stuff they need to do. You know, it, it gives you this feeling of like, well, gosh, we, we don't want to just step out and just have the whole thing fall to pieces. Right. But then again, we've been there 20 years and, you know, <laughs> what is the end point? And, and so it's a really tough, you know, from the State Department perspective, you know, that's a, that's a tough call yeah. to make, right? When, when is the right time to really pull out? So, you know, so I, I guess now it got extended a little bit. So we're going to see this, this uh, retrograde is going to continue. But, but there's already been a lot of that. And there was a lot of that going on while we were there with people moving, you know, taking stuff down and pulling assets back and yeah. that sort of thing. So, yeah. yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens over the next few months. Yeah, it's almost like you're damned if you do and damned if you don't mm, in that yeah, scenario. Yeah. There is no right right answer, really. So. so tell us what a typical day would be like for you over there, Mike. Yeah, so a typical day, um, you know, I'll tell you, there was, there was some aspects of it that I definitely, you know, have been trying really hard to hold on to, uh, you know, back here at home. One of those is having three square meals a day, and there's no <laughs> snacks, there's no, uh, right. there's, there's no uh, Cheetos to go and yeah. uh, pull out of the cabinet, you know, and so, uh, you know, so we'd wake up, you know, sometime not super early in the morning, maybe, you know, eight o'clock-ish, seven, eight o'clock, have breakfast, 
most of the mornings were kind of you know pretty slow we'd have some training every single day it would either be that within our team we would do some training or we'd be training the afghans you know, we'd, we'd have sometimes formal classes sometimes we would do some we did a lot of simulated attacks and triages and things like that uh, you know when, when you're a small team like that anything more than one patient is going to be a mass casualty situation you know so we did a lot right. of that like real hands-on you know simulations and, and that included all all the folks i think mean, the soldiers did that too I mean, it was part of their training as well so we we all kind of work together. And then, um, you know, we, we would organize our stuff, we would get various briefings on what's going on in the country, you know, so we kind of had a little awareness about, you know, where, where the fighting was going on, or if there were things that might have been heading our way. And, and then typically, it's sort of uh, more in the evenings that our guys are out doing stuff, because they've got the advantage of the night vision, you know, so a lot of when they are going out offensively, it's mostly happening after dark. So usually most of our kind of hu- most heightened time is, you know, kind of at, at nighttime, but really it could be any time because, you know, there's still a lot of the roadside bombs is being planted and the mm. you know the various IEDs and stuff like that so I mean there's sometimes there was one day that we were just it was a beautiful afternoon it was a sunny afternoon our team was sitting out around outside we were, we were having a talk about something and and then all of a sudden you just get this call over the radio it says you know ghost team respond patients coming in and you know you have no idea what it's going to be you know mm-hmm. you get in there and try right. to get revved up and get your stuff together and you know next thing you know it's it's you know a couple of minutes later you're standing there in in a pair of shorts and t-shirt you know given anesthesia yeah. so you know the days you know some of the days were very you know just pretty much nothing. It was just very slow. And, and other days were stuff like that, where it just pops up out of nowhere. We did a lot of working out. We did a lot of exercising, which was nice. That was, that was the other the other habit I'm trying to hold on to, you know, <laughs> staying on that on that schedule. It's sort of nice to have a job where someone says, I expect you to be in the gym every single day yeah. <laughs> working out. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Mandate nice. that, right? So, Mike, also, you know, you had to transition from life here to life in Afghanistan. Can we talk a little bit about that and then maybe the transition back into real life again? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. It, the, the timing was perfect. The timing was really, really good. Uh, it's, it's never a good time to go. Uh, the, you know, the one really nice thing for CRNAs, there's a, a few categories of providers, CRNAs and surgeons and physicians included, that the deployments are, it's 90 days that, that you're actually in country. And it, it'll right. come out to, there, there's a few weeks on either end of it. But, you know, the really nice thing for us is that unless you are like a company commander, you don't you don't get sent away for a year at a time, which is sweet. So the timing worked out really great, though, for us, because, you know, we just recently, this past year, Established this new department of academic nursing, right. and as we looked at the future, and you know, you, you, as I'm sure you've heard, our uh, atrium association partnership—can't yep. say the word merger—our our yeah, strategic combination <laughs> with atrium. Oh uh, my God, know. that sounds like Gwyneth Paltrow and a conscious and <laughs> company or something. <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> you know, so that that holds a lot of, of promise for us in terms of where we might be going, in terms of educational programs that we can be building, and and so you know, we built this department of academic nursing so that we can kind of. Think Think about expanding out to uh, not just a program, but rather a whole suite of programs and educational uh, offerings. So, so part and parcel with that, and the timing was was just perfect with that of me getting sent away. You know, right after we kind of established that, and so I was in a new role, brand new role of being the, the chair of the department, and it was a great time for me to to be able to say, okay, well, if I'm looking forward and saying if I'm going to serve as a chair of a department, and then all these other folks, you know, the, the regular faculty have to take on the typical program director role and kind of manage right. things a little bit more independently without me being as involved 
what better way to do it than to say, um, by the way, I'm going to be in <laughs> Afghanistan. <laughs> uh, no phone, Catch the ball. Uh, no email, don't, don't call me. So it was actually, it was perfect, you know, and, uh, and the time of the year was, was pretty good, you know, happened over Christmas. I mean, not, not so good for my family being away for you know, right. Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, but in terms of school and, and work, it was a great time because, you know, we, we finished the semester and we're kind of at a bit of a lull here in, in terms of that. So, so the timing was good in, in a couple different ways, probably the best that it could have been throughout, you know, the course of the year for me to be away. And it was a great, great opportunity for me to, you know, have, have the other faculty here kind of, you know, feel into those roles. And so, you know, Courtney Brown, who's been here as an associate director for a lot of years, she took on that role of program director in my absence. And, and so it was great to just let them kind of, you know, try out those new, you know, new relationships and new responsibilities. And then coming back has been interesting because I, I was just mentioned this to someone earlier on today. I said, they're asking me how it's been. I said, you know, in education, you, you always have this like a dozen things on the list that you need to get done maybe five things that should have gotten done yesterday, but you're still working on them. They're still dragging on the list, you know, behind you. And so to, to jump back into that, it was sort of like, you know, jumping onto a treadmill that's already running at a pretty good clip. So it was interesting kind of getting integrated back in and kind of getting, figuring out what's happening, what needs to happen, what, where do we need to be? What do I need to be working on specifically? So yeah, it, it did take me, uh, you know, a couple of weeks to really kind of, you know, get really well integrated into the flow of everything that's going on around me here. Yeah, All right, but wait, wait, wait. Okay. I got to hear this. So no cell phone, no email, no anything. Let's so, talk about that. <laughs> so not absolutely, not absolutely. We, we did have some connectivity, but you know, again, a lot of what goes on there, it's a very small base and there's a lot of folks around there that don't want to be known where they are and who they are. Oh, sure. Doing. Well, that makes and sense. So, um, you know, so we were under pretty strict rules about where we could and could not use those things. So when I was in my own little sleeping room, I could use the phone. I could, I could do um, video, you know, chats with my family and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But yeah, outside of that, you know, we really were, were told not to be, you know, on the phone or using the phone or anything like that. So yeah, it was, it was really pretty restrictive. Yeah, Mike, I think you probably are much different than a lot of CRNAs who are deployed because a lot of them are in an environment where when they leave, another CRNA can kind of just step in and, and give anesthetics yeah. and they're, you know, but in your situation, you've got a whole department and you also have students. How did the students react to this? I mean, you know, did everything go smoothly and um, in your absence? Yeah, I, I was I was very happy with how things went. I, I um I've got great faith in the team. I you know I did not yeah. anticipate coming back to a pile of rubble or <laughs> flames, you know. But but they did great, and and I heard from other folks around the school too that you know everyone picked up and did really well. And and I think you know for the students, uh, you know this type of thing for me I, I think is important to do. You know when you're yep. in a, a leadership role, it, it's it's tough to find the time to carve out for clinical anyway. Yep. But I think that if you don't, and for the for the many people that don't, it's tough. It's tough to build the credibility. You know when you're trying to tell people, hey, here's how you should do this. But you know that they can look at you and go, yeah, but you haven't done that for years, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I think that not only, you know, the fact that I do stay clinically engaged on a regular basis, in, in particular, being able to do something like this, you know, to give anesthesia in a very austere environment, very different, you know, different ways of doing it. And because a lot of, you know, you, you don't really have a really nice setup. So a lot of what we had to do is, you know, you, you mix these concoctions of, you know, had had a favorite little concoction of had Versed, fentanyl and, and ketamine in it. And, you know, in a small dose, it's great for analgesia. In a larger dose, you can actually induce someone with it, but you only have to have one syringe in your hand. And so, you know, having to, um, you know, really practice in that kind of environment and learn very different ways of doing the, the stuff that, that we do very commonly, but, you know, doing it in those kind of very strange circumstances was, was just such a great, you know, growth opportunity for me, you know, clinically, professionally as well. 
Mike, you know, as I'm thinking through this, I guess as we, we try to wrap up a little bit here, you know, what were the top things that you feel like you learned from this experience, both personally and professionally? And what advice would you give to other CRNAs out there who might be thinking of doing something along these lines? Yeah, I guess, you know, I, I think for anyone who's done mission work, you know, it, it's just that plus plus, you know, because you have not only the fact that you're working in a different environment, you've got that kind of austerity of equipment and things like that, but you've got the whole geopolitical, um, you know, who's doing what when we're working with these Afghan docs, you know, you, you got to make sure you're obeying all the right sort of, you know, cultural customs and things like that and not saying things that are, we're, we're teaching them, but you don't want to insult them. And right. so I, I think I learned a lot about just about that, that sort of thing in general. I, I learned a lot about, you know, giving anesthesia in different ways and having to do things in different ways. And, you know, for, for old folks like like Sharon and I who've been in this profession, it, it was great because- <laughs> I love you know, how having, you put Sharon first, Mike. To, uh, <laughs> when you have to go back to like calculating your drips and counting the drops, you know, I was like- Oh, oh man. God, I got that in the bag, right, Sharon? And, you know, these other folks like, what are you doing over there? And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, this is. Oh, fun. yeah, right. <laughs> I remember before we had pumps and yeah. we would just empty an IV bag and put the propofol in the IV bag and hand drip it. But see, I work in austere environments in yeah. offices. I'm used to working in a closet with an H cylinder <laughs> and, a, and a filled gas machine. I mean, that's what I do. Yeah. I don't even know if I could cut on some of these brand new gas machines where you can see everything. You just turn it on and it does everything itself. It's uh, interesting, but you're right. You're right. You get very inventive when you have to. So I'm sure that you had to do things that you hadn't done in a long time yep. that some yeah, of your exactly. students would be aghast at for <laughs> sure. Right. Oh, well, I'll <laughs> tell you, you know, the, the two really nice treats were no COVID because everyone is, you know, really strictly quarantined before they're sent overseas. So then yeah. therefore everyone who's over there, except for the Afghans that we dealt with, but when we were in our own group, nobody has COVID. And so, mm -hmm. there was, you know, no mask, you just sit, mm -hmm. you know, eat with your friends and whatever. That was one thing that was really nice. And the other was no OSHA. <laughs> and so, oh, you, yeah. know, you know, I would, you know, and, and just like we did, you know, but back when I was in school and a new provider, you know, back in our day, Sharon is, you know, I'd intubate the person and, you know, take the little cavi wipe and wipe down the blade and that blade's ready to go for the next one, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, cause you don't, you just, you know, you don't have like sterilizers and all that kind of stuff, you know, readily available. So yeah, th those were, those were some nice kind of different treats. But then as for Jeremy, you know, the advice I'd give to folks is, um, you know, I tell the students all the time, I, I say, do it, you know, think about the military. It, it's such a great opportunity for, for, I think for our students coming out of school, the two things that really bother them the most, the things that are on their mind are my scope of practice mm -hmm. and these darn student loans I got to deal with. Right. You know? mm -hmm. and I said, and right. if you go military, even reserves, it doesn't even have to be full-time, but even reserves, both of those are just non-issues, right? They're, they pay for your school right. and they'll pay back your loans, all that stuff. You get a lot of great benefits. You know, they can kind of slide you around the taxes on some of that stuff. And then the scope of practice, you know, we're, we're independent providers. And, and so being out there, you know, as, as the sole anesthesia provider with the team was really great. You know, it really brought me back to, to my days working locums and working in these real small places where it's just you and the surgeon. And, and that's a really fun environment. I, I always enjoy that, that kind of practice setting. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point about the student loans because we hear it as well. And, you know, you're talking about a couple hundred thousand dollars after you graduate. That is a great way to serve your country. And like you said, grow in your anesthesia practice and pay back your loans at the same time. I think that's great yeah. advice. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And we appreciate your service. Absolutely. Thank absolutely. You. It's my pleasure. Well, Mike, uh, you know, anything else you want to end on or? 
uh, you know, I, I say just just go do it. I, you know, and you're never too old. If if it's something, if if you're in the same boat I was, that like you wanted to do it, but the time passed or you didn't get to do it when you thought you were going to, you know, I was in my late 40s by the time I I had signed up, and 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 to my surprise, I mean, a lot of the folks I worked with over there were kind of similar in age. So hmm. um, you know, wow. it's never too late if it's something that you gotta, you know, have in your heart to do. You want to serve the country. You want to, you know, gain some great clinical experience for yourself and have some great adventures. So I, I tell people just just do it. Hey, Mike, I bet, you know, Lisa appreciates your midlife crisis better than, you know, some men that go through midlife crises. <laughs> you don't have a Porsche. I just went to Afghanistan. <laughs> she told me, wow, you know, I realize you do a lot of stuff around here. <laughs> That's what I've been trying to tell you for years. <laughs> and an appreciation factor. That's great. That's right. <laughs> uh, Jeremy, don't you go sign up I was going to say, you know, will they take me? I don't even know if they would take me. My skill set might not be good for that, so. <laughs> but um, anyway, well, Sharon, I, th- I think that's a wrap. I think so. Gosh, yeah. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. It's been uh, eye-opening for sure. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks for the invitation. I really enjoyed coming to talk with you today. Absolutely. We always appreciate you, Mike. Thanks for all you do for the anesthesia community and for Winston-Salem and Wake Forest University and our military and all the students and all the stuff you do and give back to the anesthesia community. You're, you're an amazing guy, and it's good to have you just right down the road from us here. It's, uh, it's uh, impressive what you've accomplished. So, Thank you very much. Sharon, well, we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mask with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. And you know the single best way to help the show grow, right, Sharon? Absolutely. I know. Why don't you tell them? All right. I'll tell them. It's to tell others, right? You know, we're in the top 50 medical podcasts and we'd like to be, Sharon would like to be in the top 10 and I'd like to be number one. So, but somewhere in between, I think is probably where we'd be happy. Right, Sharon? That's right. We're on our way. We're on our way. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts and tell other people about us. Until next time. It's a wrap. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, president of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and president and founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com.
www.ChristianWorldRadio.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.